Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what is going on? And we are back here with the Vigor Life Podcast. And today's guest is none other than Lee Boyce. And what's so cool about this, we've been catching up um, and are trying to get you down uh, to the Vigor Ground Fitness and Business Summit during the chaos. And, and uh, it was tough to do. But now here you are. And I know in the future, we'll have you live uh, on, obviously, on a, at the summit as well. But, you know, you're one, I, I love having you on because you're one of those guys that really kind of does... Uh, does it in the real world, but also educates about it. And then you also write for mainstream media, which is like this kind of beautiful triangle, right? Where you got a, you got a person that's doing the right stuff in the real world, educating, uh, I would say at a university and then also going into, you know, places like men's health, men's fitness, uh, and, and writing about it, which is so dope. And those are kind of like the three, I think things that I want to dive in, um, with you about, and I, and I want to start here because I do think this is important is, you know, breaking down your journey, how you got here. I mean, from the training, how did you get into, you know, speaking as a professor? How did you get into writing? And, you know, where did it all start? What was the catalyst for it all? Um, so I always like to sort of start back when I uh, talked about um, back in high school when I was into sports a whole lot and, you know, running track and playing basketball and then volleyball and football and baseball and all these other sports that I had played for varsity team. Um, and that athletic inclination that I had brought me toward uh, looking for something along those lines in school classes that I would choose in high school. So when I learned that there was a class in exercise science or kinesiology in grade 12, uh, I didn't only take it once. I took it twice. I took it in my uh, second last year and then in my last year of school as well. And I did you know, there are two different schools, but I did well in the course both times. And it just intrigued me. And the different angles that each school used uh, from one school to the other uh, to to deliver the the content, that, that intrigued me as well. And I just wanted to keep learning. So took that into university in kinesiology. And um, then I, uh, I was running track as well. I got uh, recruited to the track and field team there at university, uh, the university level. So I competed nationally. And Initially, my goal was actually to take what I was learning and where I was going with things and work with um, in chiropractic or physiotherapy as a more of a, of a stream. And it, the decision to get into personal training instead was based on the fact that I just much preferred the idea of working with people who are in the general sense healthy rather than people who are always injured, you know. And uh, I wanted to be not on a table with them, but more so in uh, in, the, in the field with them, working with them. So uh, training their strength and training their conditioning, whatever else. So that's what got me into the field. And, uh, you know, I have to say that 90% of the things that I've sort of been able to achieve accomplish, whether you want to talk about teaching, whether you want to talk about writing, um, it sort of came from making sure that I honed the skill set of making sure that I, that I had my basics down pat, which is being a good trainer. And, you know, I didn't go, I mean, I shouldn't say that by and large, but I didn't go looking for a lot of the opportunities that came my way. A lot mm. of they came to me like teaching was was offered to me. I didn't go applying for jobs for being a, a problem working like that. Um, so with with writing, that was a huge aspiration of mine. I definitely worked very, very hard to get into uh, publications and whatnot. So that's where the, the narrative shifts just a little bit, because that was one of my major goals when I was in my early 20s. And that was able to work out and get the snowball effect as well. So that's uh, 
that's what sort of uh, was the backstory behind all of that. See, this, this is great because you, you made a point that is so important. You said, I honed in on being great at the foundational skills as a trainer. And then a lot of things opened up for me. And I want to kind of dive into what, you know, after, like I said, all the coaching that you've done, the training that you've done, what do you believe in? Again, listen, I also know that, you know, you might not have a, like, I got a list of 10, but you know, some of the things that come to your mind, you're like, Hey, look, these are the foundational skills that you have to master that maybe some will think are the basics. And how does that look like, you know, to, to open up the doors for, having a lot of clients, but then also having opportunities like you've gotten, what are, what are the basic, or should I say the foundational things that you believe every coach should work on? Um, what I'm noticing, and I, I will say this even from a teacher's perspective right now is what I'm noticing is a serious deficiency on for a lot of people is uh, a knowledge of just basic anatomy. And it's actually, it can be a little bit surprising to a lot of you know, veteran trainers out there when they see that like, you know, you have a 22, 23 year old coach who's just getting into the industry and they're applying for jobs. And I have a lot of contacts who are in the business of hiring trainers onto their staffs. And uh, they'll come back and tell me things like, you know, I'll ask them a question of what is the function of the, the gastrocnemius or what are two functions of the glutes or hamstrings or whatever it is. And they can't answer the question. And that's, in my opinion, something that you want to go as much as possible without having situations like that be the hindrance to you being able to get the job, you know, know the body, understand the body. If you have to read about it, if you have to take a supplemental course to do that, whatever it takes, understanding how the body sort of is made just in the basic level. And it doesn't mean you have to know the obturator and the pectineus muscle and all those things, but just knowing, you know, hamstrings, lats, glutes, origins, insertions, what their actions are, those kinds of things. Not only that, but like from a biomechanical perspective as well, it can take you a really long way in terms of just understanding how somebody is performing on the gym floor, just understanding what things can influence the way the body is going to perform and what they're going to respond to, what they might not respond to. It just, it, it rounds out your breadth of knowledge and your application of that knowledge so well when you just have a good understanding of, I always like to say anatomy, biomechanics, and generally physics of movement. And uh, th those things can go a long way. And they, in a, in a way, they don't even have as much to do with actual training. And that's the cool part about it. It's just like, if you understand these foundations, then it's going to translate so nicely over to actually working with a moving body somebody who's doing a bench press, doing a, a strict press or whatever it is. Do you, do you have an idea? So what do you feel is the reason that that's happening? I mean, I, I've got my own thoughts around this, but what do you think is making, I, I would say that foundational knowledge get lower and lower and lower if you look at the people coming into the industry? I think two things. So the thing, the first thing is the fact that the industry is pretty unregulated, right? And because it's pretty unregulated, you know, the certifications or the qualifying standards to make somebody a trainer or make somebody able to say they're a trainer, it's becoming easier and easier to do that, whether it's the weekend cert, whether it's a new cert that no one's really heard about, whether it's whatever it is, right? So there is that side of it. But I don't put as much merit on that statement as I do for the fact that um, my second point, which is the, the fitness industry and the saturation of quick, short, YouTube-based, um, Instagram-based, TikTok-based information that's out there, where you can get some knowledge in a 30-second clip, 
But then you're bombarded with so many other competing philosophies. You're bombarded with so many other fluffier fitness methods. You're bombarded with a whole bunch of things that contraindicate the good stuff that you've learned and so on. There's just an influx of information that's being thrown at a person. And it's not really given with as much context as can be given because there are short clips. So you're getting 10 million short clips of all shapes and forms and all kinds, whether it's a strength training tip, or whether it's a powerlifting tip, or whether it's bodybuilding training, conditioning work, athletic sports specific stuff, you name it. And then I think that even if a person doesn't feel confused, they might be confused just because there's so much information that's going into their minds. And some of it might not be good information. Some of it might be bad information. Some of it might be extremely polarized information and so on. And then it gets away from those foundational basics that I was talking about. You know, there are there isn't too much content that's out there that talks about, okay, these are your lats. This is where they originate. This is where they insert. This is what they do. Here are three great exercises to hit your lats. The end, you know, because <laughs> it's not going to be out there that um, uh, is going to get a lot of views. It's not in, it's not interesting for a lot of people. And it's not going to make for a massive profile or a huge following or anything like that. I mean, you, get, you make a great point. I, I want to just also shout out this, that like, I feel that if you truly want to be in this game for like the long term, like you have to, you know, I'm, I used to play basketball. Basketball was kind of saved my life. So I always have analogies from ball, but you know, the greats would, I remember watching Kobe, you know, practice and he's like, he's 17, 18 years into it. And he's, I mean, practicing the basics, pull up jumper, right. Come across the street. Like everything's a basic and he's still drilling it. And I mean, while I had a minor in exercise and kinesiology, I'm very fortunate to where the people that I grew up with in the industry, you know, Eric Cressy is a great friend and Mike Robertson that were very also geeky. And, and, and so I would basically, you know, dive into the anatomy of everything. Right. And I, but I feel like I say this. So to say that going to study that, even if you, you know, even if you're coming from a background and you didn't go through a lot of that, you know, you, you came into the industry because you're uh, it changed your life. You're an enthusiast and then turned into a coach go and study that because it truly does create a, such a solid foundation. Oh. And the other thing too, it gives you more confidence. It certainly gave, like when I was studying all that stuff and downloading the apps of, you know, anatomy and like seeing it where everything is at and going through anatomy books, like I got more confidence because I, I think that, you know, competence builds confidence and learning that stuff makes you go like, Hey, listen, like I understand this better now. I know why this is moving um, the way that it is. And it will just give you a firmer foundation to build on. So, I mean, I love that you make that point. And actually, this is kind of like just an interim question as far as like, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're educating now, right, what is your approach? I really would love to uh, know your approach when it comes to educating and what you're teaching. So I teach fitness and health promotion at a, um, uh, teach courses within fitness and health promotion diploma program at a college here in Toronto. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good blend of like lecture-based and practical, very, very practical material. And it's very geared toward people who directly want to get into personal training as their career or some form of athletic training as their career path. So uh, there is a contingent of students who might use it to bridge to other things, but then there's a contingent of students who really want to do this stuff. And so um, what my classes are, I tend to teach a lot, oftentimes the on-campus internship, which is super duper practical. Um, the uh, exercise prescription courses as well. There's level one and level two of that, depending on what uh, semester students you are. So those courses, uh, they really lay down the foundations of programming, lay down the foundations of um, you know things like exercise technique, 
um, biomechanics of the movements and so on too. Um, and it's, it's, it's honestly, it's a really fun course. It's, it really is a fun course. So I've been on both sides of teaching the labs and the lectures as well. Um, and, uh, you know, one might be a little bit more administrative than the other side. But uh, yeah, I've sort of been all around the map, and those have turned into mainly the three courses that I'll um, that I'll be involved with each semester. Um, my approach to teaching those courses, my approach to teaching in general, and even with my approach to speaking at different events and conferences, is trying to. I believe in having information that sticks, right? That's the term that I like, that I've heard one time and that I sort of ran with. It's, it's not about just giving information, it's about giving information that is sticky or that sticks. And so when I've been in situations before and I've known people in situations before where they pay a bunch of money to go to a conference or to a symposium of some sort and to an event, and then they will um, spend eight hours for the whole day or whatever, or three eight-hour days for a weekend worth of that uh, learning, and then they come away with like two or three things that they can take to the actual gym floor for themselves and their clients in the next week. And to me, it's like, well, I mean, you just had 24 hours of instruction and you come away with like three points that you can take home after spending a thousand dollars to go there and another $500 to accommodate yourself and whatever else. Right. And to me, it's like, man, like if I can do something where the information might not be so research profound or crazily in-depth, but it's got some practical things that's like, okay, I remember this, 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 and this all from that one talk. That's where I want to go with it. And so uh, when it comes to teaching, same thing. I'll tell my students, I'll often tell them like, be like, okay, so talk to me about, um, talk to me about the shoulder and different exercises that will engage your back. Oh yeah. So this exercise is great for the retractors of the shoulder blades. And it's going to involve external rotation of this and that. And it's like, no, stop. Don't use those terms because you'll never use them in the field with clients. We know that you know what those terms are. Tell me something if I was a client. Okay, it'll help you pull your shoulders back, pop up your rib cage, and get you more range of motion at your, at your shoulder like this. Perfect, right? So I like sort of applying things like that where it's like, okay, how many ways can I make this translate to the real world scenario that you're going to be in as much as possible, right down to the vernacular that you're using? How much of this can you really translate into the real world? Um, we're going to take our noses out of the books. We're going to break a few rules here. We're going to realize that in such an industry, practice is going to be the most important thing. And the way that you are uh, learning, it's got to be a little bit more fluid as long as the principles of training are being respected under that umbrella of, you know, you have to have those foundational movements. Let's say squat, hinge, push, pull, carry. Those kinds of things are important for, an, for a client. Now, the things that go under that category, for example, okay, what kind of squat? What kind of hinge? Now, those are the things that you have to make on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, every trainer who's good is going to believe that, you know, for a good quality, safe squat, you're going to have to go down with a pretty tall spine. You don't want to flex in the spine. You want to keep your heels down the entire time, those kinds of things. However, you talk to somebody who's maybe trained under Poliquin versus someone who's trained under Ripto, you're going to hear different philosophies on just more details of that squat. And this is the, the, the gray zone that a lot of young trainers, I think, would benefit to understand that there's a lot of it depends here. And uh, if I can get that point across, as well as understanding that, um, you know, speaking in the most clinical or the most theoretical and, you know, all that kind of esoteric jargon, it's not going to help anybody. At the end of the day, I think that they're going to be better off for all of that. Awesome. I, I think there's two things that you mentioned that I kind of want to go into. So you said practical programming. 
that that's one of the things you teach. I, I definitely want to dive into that. And then the second, which I love is that you're preparing people for the real world of coaching, which is communication. I, I, I think that that one, that is actually a really big bottleneck. Um, a lot of times just being able to communicate to your clients in their language, the language that they understand. Right. Cause that's, you know, I'm like, you got, you got to translate this stuff. <laughs> that's how I look at it. It was like, you got to be a translator of the geeky to the, I completely get it. Right. Whoever yeah. you're talking to, is it a 10 year old? Is it a grandma? Is it a pro athlete? You got to help them understand how it works for them and what it means to them. That is, that is meaningful to what they're doing. And so on a practical programming, like, let me take, you know, if I went through, you know, all the workbooks that I've ever gone through, whether NSCI, SSA, NASM, all that good stuff. Like when you get to coaching and teaching, what are some things that may not be written in those books, but you're like, I teach this because it's practical programming. Um, I like thinking about, especially when it comes to things like the, the history or how clean of a slate the client themselves have, you know, and what I mean by that is when a client, uh, comes to you and says, I need a program or whatnot, you know, I could pick up, um, you know, a, a good book that's all about, you know, hypertrophy training if the person wants to build muscle or whatnot. But I mean, the program can't tell whether or not the client is older or younger, has a long training age, an old training age or a young training age. Uh, has a history of injury, has a history of surgeries, has certain leverages that may or may not correspond very well to certain lifts that are being really, really um, hammered away at. The, all those kinds of things can be a huge factor. What kind of lifestyle that client has as well in the sense of maybe they're dedicated to it, but maybe they have a 60, per, 60 hour per week job that has them sleeping five hours a night. You know, and all those kinds of things, like it might still be great to get out and train five, six days per week, but is that doing more good or bad for you in terms of your, your health overall? Your, your adrenals might be destroyed. Your um, androgen receptors might be blocked up. Like there's all kinds of stuff like that that factors in that a, a fixed program or a generic program might not um, be able to tell. Now, having said that as well, talking about with a, with a student who might be in the internship, for example, uh, a student in my internship classes who's looking to work with a client or who's looking to get ready to start into the industry, one thing that I would definitely, definitely encourage them to do in terms of breaking away from things is realizing that like, okay, you don't have to necessarily train the largest muscle groups first in the workout if there's a contraindication or a good reason why going smaller to larger is a smart idea for that client. You know, um, I could give a bunch of reasons why Doing a hamstring curl before doing sets of squats will be fantastic for a client who's got bad knees or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So those kinds of uh, critical thinking, those kinds of ways of sort of, uh, you know, breaking away from what the formula might tell you to do, what the books might tell you to do, I think that those are useful interpretations of training that can go a really long way for somebody. And it can also open the floodgates for people to start applying that method of thinking to other scenarios that I'm not even mentioning here. Yeah. See, this is cool because I, I mean, look, I love templates. I think templates are useful, right? But what you're talking about is creating a toolbox where a person can make a decision and then go like, Oh yeah, I'm going to use this template, but I'm, you know, you made a great example, but I, I use a ton of primers. I mean, even for myself, like I'm 41, I've done a lot of training, a lot of uh, athletic things in my life. And it's like, there's a lot of days where I'm like, all right, hamstring curls, calf raises, single leg stuff as a circuit to prime for, for instance, when I'm going to squat yeah. and, and what squat do I use? I don't barbell back squat anymore. Right now, the, the thing is, is that if you see a template again, that, that is useful, 
but you don't have this uh, frame to look at it from a different perspective. You just go like, okay, template, insert a squat pattern, insert a da 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 And now you're essentially not doing that person, uh, uh, you're doing them a disservice because you could have done something that would be better, but maybe it's counterintuitive to, you know, or if you read a, a Ripto book, if you read a, this book or that book, it's not talking about that. And that's the practicality of it, to, to have as many scenarios to be able to make a decision, but you, at least you got more stuff in the toolbox than just a hammer to choose from and, and make a better choice for that client. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. You know, and like, that's the thing, like there's so many scenarios. What if the person has a poorly equipped gym? And so all of a sudden they don't have access to certain equipment that the program asks for. What modifications, what happens if you're the trainer in a situation where your gym is busy and you had this part of the program and you had them, you're supposed to have them do, you know, squats at, in the one of the only cages that's available and it's not available. Well, what will you do instead to create volume for them? What if the client walks in one day and says, Hey, you know what? I feel horrible. My back, I threw out my back like a week ago and it's flaring up on me. I could squat, but I don't know if I should. That kind of thing, right? Those kinds of, you know, the, the what's the word I'm looking for? Just the, the unexplained things, the things that are coming out of left field for a, a person. They have to understand how to roll with those kinds of punches and what kinds of things to do instead. Having a bigger arsenal of tools, like you said, in the toolbox is going to be a huge way to do that. Do you, uh, do you do these scenarios? Just, I mean, talking about conversate about them. Yeah, I do. And, uh, one of the, uh, one of the subjects of each lab week is usually a different, there's a different subject each week. And so like, um, two weeks ago we had minimal equipment training. That was one of the things. So, uh, you, you, you can have uh, scenarios where we create case studies and say, okay, create a one day program. You have 15 minutes to write up a nice one day workout based on this case. This is a person, they want general conditioning. All they have is a mat two light dumbbells, three sets of bands, and one heavy kettlebell. What can you do with this, with this uh, stuff that you got? You know, stuff like that is, uh, is pretty useful. And again, super duper practical. So uh, I really like doing little assignments like that for a student and uh, for the students in the, in the classes. And it usually works out pretty well. And when you have different groups doing all sorts of different scenarios, then everyone gets to bounce the ideas off one another, learn from each other and so on. And then I like to give my feedback, of course, too. I love that. It's, for anybody that's listening to it as a coach, I would highly recommend this because this, this is kind of like our internships, right? Like where, but I think that writing out scenarios, right? So you have, I mean, every scenario that you can imagine, right? Like from somebody blew out their back, um, somebody has no cartilage in your knee, somebody has minimal equipment. You just kind of go down the list and use those examples in your teaching of, again, you could be, whether it's you own a gym and you're teaching your other coaches, your fitness director. There's an, a lot of scenarios who, where you're mentoring somebody under you. And if you have a group setting, I think there's so much benefit to doing that because everybody gets their input. And now you can kind of go through like what might be the best choice, but everybody's learning. I, I, the thing is, I don't see that a lot. Um, and this is why I love the practical side of it because whatever textbooks that you read, once you get in the real world, it can be a shit show. <laughs> what I mean by a shit show, right? It's like, all right, you know, uh, you get a group training of 50, you know, especially our, our peak with team training, which is our large group training. I mean, we do charity boot camps with 150 people in it, right? How do you organize that? How do you coach 50 new people and make sure you do pick exercises where things can't go crazy? Um, you get a military unit. They get three, uh, like I was doing an in-staff for uh, Fort Lewis Strength and Conditioning where they're like, yeah, we don't even know what we're going to get that day. 
So we might get a, a, a box and it's got a trap bar up to 315. We might get this. And I got like 50, 60 guys with completely different fitness levels. Right. And so small group personal training, there's a strength program, but may, we might have a new person come in this week and there's been a minor assessment on it, but like, you're going to have to adjust. This is the real world stuff. And, you know, uh, we've had folks that have done a master's in, uh, in exercise science and kinesiology didn't have as much uh, practical and were basically just like deer in the headlights, right? Cause they're trying to churn through like what they've learned. And it's like, this doesn't fit the box of wow. what's going on. And so, so I, lo I love that you're, you're doing that because I think every person should have as much of that as possible. Um, I'm actually going to, I'm, I'm going to bug you about this. So you should probably create courses of what you're teaching <laughs> so, that, so, that, so that a lot of people can learn from it. Because I mean, again, like you're, you're in the real world, you know, your foundations and you're creating toolboxes for people to be ready when they go rather than, and I'm, I'm all about like, look, le learn as you go, obviously, like you got the, you need the experience, but why mess up a whole bunch yeah. if you could come out the gates, you know, already being more prepared, I think. Yeah. Strongly agree with that sentiment. You know, the, the idea of, you know, the, th the thinking that, you know, passing one written exam and maybe a 10 minute practical evaluation is all that it takes in order to, there's a lot of people out there who might do that and who might pass that and think that they're set. And that's the wrong, that's, that's the wrong path right there, you know, because, okay, we know it's unregulated. We know that it's a, it's a, it's an easy in the general sense of the term, pretty easy to become licensed to do this. But if you think that you're ready for any scenario that comes your way or that you have all the knowledge you'll ever need, well, that's absolutely not true. Right. And so uh, when somebody gets complacent or rests on their laurels for lack of a better term uh, after they've gotten a, a passing grade on their certification exam or they've passed their practical exam. And then they think that, okay, well, you know what? I have all the knowledge and then they stop trying to learn. You know, it's, it's, it's not even, they're probably even below ground zero in terms of the level they need to learn from. That's also why I encourage people to, uh, I like people getting people to start working with the uh, large box gyms and commercial gyms as their first kind Same. of thing. Hell yes. Um, doing things that are doing things that are uh, in the boutique club area or trying to go on your own right at the beginning. I mean, okay, maybe you'll make a little bit more per session if you get enough clients to even make it worth your while, right? But if you uh, stay in that world, you don't have the opportunity to really get hit with a whole bunch of different kinds of client cases. You don't have the chance to work with, you know, boutique clubs usually have a very homogeneous mixture of people in the first place where it's like, you know, lots of business executives who might be in a higher income bracket and in a certain age category as well, right? You don't get the kid. You don't get the, you know, you don't get the female client. You don't get the obese client. You don't get this, that, and the third, just giving these little examples there compared to just having one kind of client that really dominates that sort of uh, culture there. Mm -hmm. You might not get the athlete. You might not get the power lifter and so on and so forth. Whereas if you go to a box gym, you probably get a little sprinkling, at least a sprinkling of every different kind of client, because that's a, that's sort of like a, it's a common space that a lot of people will probably go and sign up for and get a membership at. You'll have the 18 year old, you'll have the 70 year old, you'll have the person who's in great shape. You'll have the person who's not in great shape and so on and so forth. These are the types of things that a can really, really help give you the right good kind of challenges as a trainer, especially a young one, but B when you have a part of a big staff of training clients, uh, trainers too, 20, 25 trainers or whatever it is, you know, what a gym might lack in the idea of, you know, pushing for numbers and volume and what have you done for me lately and a poor rate per session and all that stuff. 
makes up for with how many different trainers on staff you can also learn from, how many different contacts you could make, how many different um, you know clients that you can take on and so forth. And I think that's a very beneficial thing. And it's coming from a guy who spent the first four years of his career in exactly that scenario, box gym. Same. So, I mean, I, I started a gym in Slovenia, came here, started from scratch, went to LA Fitness and Envision Quest. And it was exactly that. And here's the thing, you know, during that, I might have been like complained about because you may not attach to necessarily the values of the, the company or whatever else. But here's, I'm so grateful for it because the amount of volume that you get. And here, here's the other thing too. What, what, what is happening there? Well, you have hundreds and hundreds of leads in, you, in front of you every single day and you're handed people every single day, which is, you know, once you get into your business by yourself, you realize you have to make that happen all the time by yourself. And it's one of the hardest things to do because there's coaching and a business of coaching. And it's exactly what happened. It's like one, you know, if you want to be the busiest person, get you have to start having a gift to gab. You have to start learning about sales to the foundational degree, right? And the other thing too is, other people get to see you coach, which I think is one of the most powerful things because that's how I got clients that other people were going like, Hey, like, what are you doing with that person? Like, I've never seen that, but like, it seems interesting. And I'd, I'd say like, Hey, listen, uh, I got a, you know, I got a 30 minute in, in, in like 30 minutes. If you want to take a 30 minute session with me, somebody canceled today, you want to jump in, I'll take you through it. Right. And it'd be like, yeah, boom. Right. All of a sudden I deliver value on the spot. I sit down for a strategy session. I do so much of that. And then for people that were training there for like three, four, five months, they're seeing clients change. Going like, Cody, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> it's like, well, he's training with Luca, right? So you don't get that, you know, starting off uh, either even going to a smaller space or, you know, going something that's really specific, sports performance. So we train just these types of folks. What I, what I will say, and I don't know if it, you kind of agree with this, is that Ideally, so this is kind of like this optimal thing. Working in, in a setting like that and an intern under somebody that's been in a game that really understands training, and then you can see them work and get all the kind of like explanations and the whys and essentially like an internship um, of a person that's got, you know, the 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours, whatever it may be. Because now you can go back and apply it and have this great pool of, people that you can experience training with, um, I think it make that helps you like really skyrocket your growth. So one like that, that a hundred percent agree with that. And it's, I, I'm surprised that I forgot to talk about this one factor to any young trainer who's out there. Here's something that I really believe is that, uh, and this is something that I personally did as well is today I have even literally last night, I got an email from somebody saying, you know, I'm out in whatever state. Can I, uh, can I do some kind of mentorship or internship or something with you that I can learn from you? Said, listen, like, I don't, I don't tend to offer that. I don't do that. I, I, I'm not in the business of doing internships. I just never did that with my career. However, anybody who's in town who's contacted me to do the same thing, this is what I've always told them. And this is me responding to that email. This is what I've always told them. I've said, I don't offer internships or mentor mentorships, but why don't you do some training sessions with me? Why don't you be my client mm. client? And that way yes. firsthand by going through the actual stuff programming that I prepare for you, you could ask me questions, you could feel what the workouts feel like, et cetera. You know, and having said that, I'm bringing myself to the point of saying this is that when I was 22, let me see, 21, 20, 21 and 22, all those years, especially those years, I hired 
my favorite coach, the best coach that I could in my establishment, in my gym, in, in the gym that I worked for. I worked with, and he helped me put on size. He helped me get strong and so on. Those kinds of things were very important. I learned so much. I remember all those sessions like they were yesterday and they stuck with me possibly among the top tier of uh, all the things that I've ever learned in the industry. Those that's one of some of the stickiest information that I ever received was the time that I spent being a client myself. You know, you learn about programming, you learn about how it feels, you learn about what these kinds of things can do. You see the results of doing things the correct way as well. So that was coming from somebody who was a university level sprinter, who was a trained athlete at some degree, all that sort of thing, you know, being able to put your possible ambitions or whatever it is aside and say, I'm going to put programming and training in the hands of somebody else for a period, not only to get results, but also to learn from them. It went a really, really long way for me. And uh, I'm really glad that I did that. And, you know, even up until, you know, before the pandemic hit anyway, up until a few years back, I was still getting coached. I'm always sort of seeking out coaching from somebody, somebody in my in my circle of contacts, my colleagues and so on that I really respect. Most recently was my boy Brad Thorpe over at uh, ISOFIT. So he uh, really put me through some isometric training and it was uh, it's gone a long way for me. And I use a lot of that stuff myself too. those methods. See, that, that's so great. Now, you were ahead of the game to be doing that in 2021. I, like, I love that. But man, like that's seriously. And I think today it's much easier because think about, I mean, I, I know that like when I started coaching people like 17 years ago, or, you know, when I started gym 16 years ago, it's like you couldn't really, you know, you, you had to read the books or buy the DVDs or, you know, you'd go on Elite FTS or T Nation or whatever else it may be, which obviously phenomenal resources, but Today, you can, you know, you got YouTube, you got social media, you can follow somebody and go, man, that's really interesting. And then do they have a product, a resource? I, if they're in your area, reach out to them and go like, hey, I want to get sessions, right? Or a gym that inspires you, a coaching gym. Like you can go there, you can sign up for a membership, you can, you can get training. It's so much more readily available, but I think it's more the principle that you're talking about that is key. Like, how, you know, do, do you want to learn like the fastest ways possible is like get coached, ask questions. You know, I mean, there's nothing better than that. But again, like yeah. I, I would say, I, I really hope that everybody that's listening is hearing the fact that, you know, you did that in 2021. And I think that was just like the, boop, you know, the, the jumpstart button that, that really helps you. Uh, Cause I, I always, for instance, what, what I would do is when I'm reading something and when I'd get coached, same thing, I've, I've got, I've gotten coaching for like, 20 plus years. And I'd be, even when I was a pro athlete, I always had coaches and it w I would be like, Hey, listen, I read this thing, but we're doing this thing. Like, I don't understand. Like, isn't that counterintuitive? And would you have somebody that can go like, well, listen, like, yeah, this works in this setting, but here's what's going on with you. And here's why we're not doing that. And, and it's like, Oh, okay, cool. Right. Th that bridging the gap is so good. And then that person would be in a lot of cases go like, Hey, listen, I need you to go read this thing. I need you to go watch this video. I'd watch it and be like, oh man, okay, this is starting to make sense, right? Yeah. So it's, it's like, it just speeds stuff up so much. Um, I think to get it from the real world of somebody that's gone through that same thing, it was like, yeah, when I started, I saw, thought the same thing. Then I was coaching this long. Then I learned, learned from this guy. Then I, you know, same thing. Um, I, I love that you said that, you know, the isometric training, you went to do that. I've been diving super deep with, into Alex and the Terra stuff. Uh, and I mean, been using guys souls a lot, but like his, you know, Alex, the stuff on isometric training is like, I, I think world-class, you know, top 1% and just open a whole world for me. You know, and I, I feel like 
I know a whole lot, but I also feel like I don't know anything. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, that's been cool. But like, I, I, it's important that you have this type of, the, that you you have a value of curiosity and staying open-minded and, and seeking out somebody that's better than you. Or even if, if it's in one area that you want to improve, um, it's a game changer. And it, it usually ends up being, in my opinion anyway, more valuable than any theoretical certification or anything like that too. It's, again, we were talking about the sticky information, all that stuff, usually all of that stuff that you're doing physically with your uh, coach or whatnot, that all sticks usually. And uh, compare that to, you know, a certification where a lot of it is just regurgitating info that you've taken in for the, for, for the sake of passing this exam, then I get my papers and then I'm out, you know, and uh, that's, it's just not the way to look at this industry. It's not the way to approach this stuff because it's such a practical based industry in the first place that if you don't have, you know, if you haven't learned the ropes through practice, then you're going to be off on the wrong foot. Let me ask you this too. How much coaching like training are you doing right now uh, with clients? Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a typical, fairly decently busy week. I'll usually have, let me see, I have school on Tuesdays. So I'm working Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, possibly Fridays and Saturdays. And I'll usually see a maximum of four people per day on those days, but you'll say reliably three, three a day. Okay. That's a good decent amount. You, everything is one-on-one or you do semi-private? I'm pure one-on-one. I've always been a one-on-one guy. Um, yeah, I've never really been into the semi-private game or the group fitness game. So it's, it's always been one-on-one for me. Okay. So that that's cool. Cause I, I wanted to, I mean, obviously at this point in time, we'll dive into you know, the, the getting clients part, but I'm, I'm also interested in, you know, you've made a name for yourself. You got a really good foundation and the people that you're training, have you come to kind of a, you know, what's, what's Lee's 80, 20, meaning that, you know, the 20% of the things that you do to get 80% of the results when it comes to like practical programming, if it was, if it was like, do you have a template? And, and I get, it, I, I'm the same way where it's just like, there's a lot of different stuff going on. I got Training pro rugby team, elite NFL guys. Then it's like kids. It's it's all over the place. But you know, what would you say? Could could you go like most of the time? I do yeah. this. So for first of all, the dominant majority of my clients are the typical, you know, the uh, the average Joes, for lack of a better term. They're the middle of the road clients who are uh, general population. So uh, I have a sprinkling of other kinds of clients in there, but it's mainly you know the the Bob from accounting, the Deborah from finance types. Uh, so having said that, most usually, and they're usually middle-aged as well. So most usually I like following, especially if they're, uh, you know, rel- relatively consistent. And for me, consistency would be uh, two to three days per week that they're yep. training and possibly an extra workout on their own. But uh, oftentimes they might not even have the time for that or whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, those clients I would normally follow, or I like to sort of go under the the guidelines or umbrella of. One day is vertical pushes and pulls, next day horizontal pushes and pulls. And if there's a third day, then I go back to vertical pushes and pulls again with new with different exercise within that as well. You know, so your vertical pushes and pulls, like your squat pattern, your deadlift, your overhead press pattern, or versions of these things, of course, that would be on one day. Horizontal stuff would be row patterns and so on, core work, planking, things like that. Um bench press or push-up kind of work, chest kind of exercises, of course, um, you know, inverted rows. I talked about rows already. Um, dynamic movements like walking lunges and you name it, leg presses. These are all going to be under that second day. 
And then on the third day, if we did squats on day one, another vertical push or pull would be the deadlift pattern and so on. And we follow other things. That could include some accessory work as well. But, uh, you know, I'll usually contain things in that kind of way with a little bit of space for a little bit of fun stuff as well, if that's not already fun to begin with. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, see, the thing is, I, I keeping stuff steady, but I, I've been a big fan, honestly, like even in my own training, maybe just because I've been doing it for a long time, like I understand the importance of, you know, having obviously a set structure, but like I'm 75, 25 or 80, 20 is like, 20%, I might change it even every training session and still stay within the guise of if I have a push-up, I'm going to do a push-up. I'm going to change that push-up up. Right. right. 75-80% of it is going to be is going to be similar. But I love that you said that you actually, Jay's a big fan of uh, I would say kind of that programming as well. Uh, we that's another one of the templates because I stay under templates. One of the templates is like push-pull legs. Um that that we'll use if it's a three to three time a week. And, and this is kind of like what I teach uh, the team, but others is to like, all right, if you have a client that's a two day a weeker, right? Here's options and options are picked based on what type of person are they training age? Do they have like, injuries? This, that, the other, there's, there's two options. Okay. Then if they're doing three times a week, here's two options. If they do four times, then there's a whole bunch more options, obviously. Right. right? And, right. and then we'll do it in, um, like an instas and do scenarios just kind of like what you talked about. But I always love hearing that because, you know, what you're doing in the real world and what's working well. And what are some things that you found, especially with your clientele? Unless like I would say a lot of my gym, the biggest percentage would probably be the same clients as, uh, as you have for sure. And um, what are some things that like you, when you, let's say in the last five years, you know, as, as you've been evolving and your experience has grown more and more and more, what have you found where you're like, man, I thought this and like, I've completely dropped it. But then here's some things that I thought that maybe were, were not a, a practical thing in programming, but now I'm doing a whole bunch of it. Uh, and it's a staple, you know, what, what do you think that's changed there? Um, the use of more body weight training for sure in the last five years has definitely made itself a, a, a real uh, surge in my training, uh, not only personally, but with clients too. Uh, very, very important to be able to handle your own body and be able to understand your groundwork and, you know, just realize that, you know, a deadlift isn't a be all and end all when it comes to a, a display or an expression of your posterior chain strength, for example, you know, or that a squat or being able to squat to a certain strength standard, like double body weight or whatever is so relative to so many different things uh, and so many different factors are at play there. And so you can't just look at that. Right. So all that is just to say that, um, yeah, those kinds of things, body weight work and uh, all kinds of supplementary exercise like that have entered in for sure. Uh, like the primers we were talking about before, whereas it's like, oh, biggest exercise first. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yep. So much is based around a client's goals and their their history as well. And uh, the, the third thing that I have to say has made a real impact on uh, my training lately. And I, what did I say the five years? Yeah, maybe, maybe five or six years. It's 2022 now. So maybe for since about 2016, I've really been talking about leverages and anthropometry and all that sort of thing uh, a whole lot. And so considering like a back squat being a main lift for a lot of people, for example, or a bench press being a main lift on a pushing day on a chest day or whatever have you. Well, can there be a new main lift for this person based on what their leverages are and what's going to love keep that? Are we going to keep on looking at hammering away at this bench press 
Or are going to say, okay, you know what? From now on, your new main lift for horizontal press that you can go heavy on and really push it, it's going to be a pin press where it starts four inches off of your chest. And it's going to come to a dead stop every time. And we're not going to look at the eccentric side of it and so on and so forth, right? Um, are we going to look at uh, a back squat or are we going to change it up to a front squat? Are we going to back squat with the same rebounding tempo of all as all people do it? Or are we going to go for a slow negative and freeze at the bottom? This is a way to now reestablish what you even conceive your PRs as. So instead of going for your three rep max that was at 250 pounds, well, how much can you do when you do it that way that I said, four second eccentrics and a dead stop at the bottom? Maybe you could only do 185 that way. Guess what? That's your new three RM. When you hit 250 looking like that, ah, we're talking. You're probably <laughs> pretty different and you're probably going to feel pretty different while you're doing that too. So these are uh, these are the things that have sort of changed my perspective and uh, changed my perspective so much so that and uh, this is actually the first time on any public platform that I've ever said this. So it's been leaked, but I'm going to say it here for the first time ever is that uh, I have a book that is out uh, or that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. So um, by December 1st, we've got a book coming out uh, with my co-author Melody Schoenfeld, and that is going to be all about this subject, anthropometry, leverages, and how strength training is affected by them. Uh, published by Human Kinetics, so big deal company, and they're going to be uh, definitely publicizing that themselves too. Going to be on Amazon, all over the place, and uh, we're really excited for it. 15 chapters, 288 pages, medical illustrations, you name it, it's all in there. So yeah, it's going to be uh, something See, look, that I was, that's not really touched. I was bugging you, and there you are, dropping in a podcast. I'm like, you, you got you to teach some of this stuff. Well, there you go. Uh, well, <laughs> well, one, we're going to put the uh, the link in the show notes for sure. Uh, and I'm definitely going to like, you know, what I love to do is just get a book from my whole team. Right. And, uh, from, especially from people that I respect that are doing great work, but that's, you know, that's so powerful. Like I'm trying to just, uh, like snatch ideas here that for, for people that are listening is like, what if, right. You selected new foundational base lift for your clients. Right. And, and you can and you can communicate this frame as like, hey, look, this is a better lift for you. It's more joint friendly. And we're going to be able to see how you improve without you beating yourself up, actually feeling good, getting stronger. Again, maybe it's a, a pin press with a bench. Maybe it's with a football bar. Maybe it's trap bar off of blocks. Because, again, I, I was just talking to a client about this the other day. They go like, well, you know, the real a real deadlift is off the floor. And I'm like, well, I'm like, do you know who made the plates this size? They're like, no. Do you know why they made them this size? Like, no, no, me neither. Somebody just made <laughs> this shit up. Like somebody just it was like, this is the size of the plate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it, it's it's kind of like it's all arbitrary. I'm like, do you feel good when we lift it like that? Yeah, I don't feel my back at all. Okay, great. Like maybe you'll get to the floor for sure, but this is your current strength, you know, foundational lift. And they get stronger and are happier. And and that, you know, just to have that and go like, hey, have this categorization of exercises. What are better fits as this base strength exercise? Yeah. And like you're, you're doing them a much bigger service and they're going to be happier, better, get stronger, you know, not get stuck in this cold room of like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I lifted, but now I'm hurting or, you know, I'm tight. So I can't really push. And you, you avoid all of those just by making better choices right there. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's the name of the game. Is so you move well and get stronger while moving well. And if weight training or a certain exercise are hurting you, and it's not, and you're you're narrowly escaping injury with every repetition you perform of this variation of a movement, is it really worth it? You know, when you're twenty three or twenty five or whatever, and you can recover like that from doing something that's wrong or missing a rep or whatnot, then 
you might not put too much mind into this, but when you're, you know, 30 plus 35, I'm almost 36 myself, you know, you do, you probably have some injuries in your back pocket already by that point in your life. Anyway, you know, you probably have been sidelined from something if you're somebody who's a regular lifter. And so you don't want to constantly be in that cycle of being on rehab and then being back and then going back to the things that got you in rehab in the first place. And then you get injured again and so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, that was really brought home to me, even though I didn't get my knees injured by way of uh, weight training, I was playing basketball all the time, mm. that whole surgery and rehab and all that time off work and all that stuff that I went through, that was a real eye opener to me in terms of, okay, brings to question, okay, how am I training so that this sort of thing doesn't happen to me again, let alone in the weight room to, to make that happen. So I didn't want that to be my, my story. So I really should yeah, but you brought that. I actually this. I, I wasn't going to uh, dig into this, but I do think there's valuable stuff here to be uh, to be pulled out of it because I mean, and I saw when you like injured injured your knees and then started rehabbing and everything else. What you know? Because I think everybody's had. That. I mean, I I had like a really horrible back injury 15 years ago. I mean, like bad. You know, it was, it was, I was supposed to get a very invasive surgery. Ended up rehabbing it, and you know now I'm good pretty much majority of the time. It's like the lessons there that I learned were like. I mean, mind-blowingly huge for me as a coach. But what were some of the things, even for you personally, that you learned th going through that? Because, I mean, look, that that's serious adversity for somebody that's training and is like super, you know, you're, you're active, you're training, that's part of your life. Um, the futility of this industry as a whole and, and how well enough somebody needs to be in order to do their job is one thing that I guess, first and foremost, because I went from being able to train clients and be able to do it to, to not at all. Right. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And you have to wait until you're better before you can get up, walk around, carry weights around, do things like that. And that was just my life. So I was in this wheelchair. Then I was bedridden. I was, that was it. Now, beyond that, as far as actually from a training perspective, things that I learned, I found that a positive attitude is a huge component, a key player for actually seeing results. If you believe that you're going to get better from something, then it's going to help your chances of getting better. If you believe that you're going to build muscle from the workout and you're doing the right things in your gym, of course, then you're probably going to have a faster rate of change than somebody who goes into it like a pessimist. So I think from a sports psychology, from a mental uh, perspective, that's a pretty important one. Um, and I also found that uh, learning from much more, I don't want to say experienced lifters, just as lifters, but more so much more just older people in your gym to find out what has made them last the test of time for so long. I love having conversations with the 60, 65 year old lifter who's in great shape and you can see that and you're like, man. So have you been squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing all these years to maintain this physique and to have this or what? Most of them don't say that. They say, oh, I stopped deadlifting so long ago. Now I do this instead, or now I do that. And uh, I still do these versions of these kinds of movements. But as far as barbell squats, nah, man, I don't do that anymore. You know? And so they say, oh, I focus a lot more on my mobility. My nutrition has taken top tier. All these different things that come into the picture to round out somebody's total fitness. Um, those are things, and I guess the other thing that I learned as well is that, um, you know, there are 11 components of, of fitness, and a lot of people only like to talk about like two or three of them. And so, you know, when we're talking about like strength, power, coordination, muscular endurance, cardiorespiratory capacity, balance, agility, speed, I'm missing the other three right now. But all of that to say that if we're only training 
heavy squats, heavy deadlift, heavy bench press, and finding different ways to only get stronger, we're not bringing ourselves into a good place of total fitness, you know? And uh, we could be into the Olympic lifts. We could be into uh, powerlifting and doing competitions. We could be into bodybuilding and hypertrophy training, but what are we doing to, you know, help our, our heart? What are we doing to help our muscular endurance? What about things that require some balance or coordination neuromuscularly? Those are other things to ask yourselves. And it doesn't mean that you have to make a huge 180 for your training, but how much time are you spending incorporating these factors to affect your health in a great way? And that was something that I really tried to make an emphasis on changing myself so that I could be a little bit more rounded with my fitness, my fitness goals, and with the goals of clients too, just incorporating that sort of thing too. Um, and last thing that I'll say as well, sort of on the same subject is the fact that we drop the ball in the strength and conditioning world, I think a lot when it comes to the subject of gaining strength. Why I say that is because it's important to be strong. It's important for a person who's just starting training to get stronger and strength should be the primary concern of a lot of people. And it has the most spillover to a lot of other things too. Like I believe that strength is a major factor in creating mobility for a person. However, a lot of times when people get to a certain level of capabilities as far as barbell strength goes, they start missing the message of what it should be all about. And they start forgetting the fact that, okay, I can pull 500, now I'm going to go for 550, 550, 600, and 625. This is a hobby for you now, man. It's not anything that is a dire necessity for you to continue. There's no added value to your life if you can pull 600 versus 575, you know? that's never going to be something that's tested of you in your lifetime. I can guarantee it. Having said that, getting strong and then staying strong is very different than constantly trying to get stronger at all costs. You know, that's where the law of diminishing returns comes into play. That's where you don't get too much more out of it for your life benefit. And people need to understand that and realize that if they want to live a life, that's probably going to be a lot less injury riddled then they might want to think about, diversifying their goals and not just thinking about how can I do not every exercise in the world has to be geared toward making a progressive overload and getting stronger and stronger and stronger all the time. You know, it's not a, it's not a horrible thing to think of, but what about recalibrating our thoughts to think of, okay, there are other things I can get out of this too. There are other ways I can perform these reps to make lighter weight feel heavier. There's other things mentally that this can do for me and so on and so forth. I think that can go a really, really long way for people. And um, that change in perspective takes a little bit of pressure off of yourself too. So it helps you enjoy the ride a little bit better too. Man, that segment right there, gold. Gold, <laughs> the, you're speaking my language. Just, I, all right, like, because I, mentally I was taking notes on the points that you made that I want to just pull out here. Number one, look at the people that like are where you would want to be, I don't know, when you're 60, when you're 70. And just, I, I think we don't, I don't think we get enough wisdom from people that are have a ton of wisdom and are older and are literally like, you know, Peter Atia calls it like uh, back casting, right? Like, where would you want to be when you're 70 and 80? All right, cool. Like if you're 40 now, this is the gap, but you're not where you're supposed to be when you're 40 to be here when you're 80, right? So your cardio sucks. You got to do a lot more aerobic capacity work, right? You got to do a lot more of this. Your balance isn't great. And which brings back exactly what you said. And, and I learned some of this in the last, I would say, five years, which is, hey, I love being strong. But if I can maintain where I'm at, who gives a shit about going from this to that? It's just not worth it. But, yeah. you know, 
for, for me, I have this whole kind of, I keep saying it now of these last years of like, Hey, I want to be an athlete for life. Love boxing, love playing basketball, you know, and to be able to do those things, you need a whole lot more, you know, that, Hey, if you can deadlift 400 uh, or whatever, doing more is not going to be help you be do the other things better, but doing like, for instance, types of conditioning that will prepare your tissues, build tissue tolerance. So you can go on a court and, you know, do two hours of ball once a week or, you know, box or do this, that, the other, that's going to be a whole lot more important. And then about recovery strategies and again, mobility and things of that nature, right. Or power work, which is so important for people as they, they age, because it's what they lose first. It's yeah. such a, such a, such a golden nugget, but the, the, the way that you said it makes so much sense. And I really, really hope that, uh, you know, folks are like, hold up, you know, talked about 11 properties in fitness and like, I'm not doing like four or five. I'm not even doing shit for four or five of those. It's like, <laughs> guess what? Like th th they matter. And th the more you age, the more you're going to see that if you don't work on them, how much they matter. Um, man, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that right there is absolute gold. I'm, I'm, I'm not only assuming because I, I, I watch your content and I saw the switch of you starting to do things where I was like, Oh man, he wasn't talking about this as much before body weight movements, mobility. Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. This is dope. But again, because you start going like, yeah, maybe I need to work more on that. And I've, I've had all these realizations where I'm like, damn, I don't work enough on this. And you know, I'm, I, I get to uh, geek out every week because Joel Jameson is, is kind of my, my neighbor, you know, when we do these uh, bench Sunday night sessions and geek out on mitochondria and longevity and all this stuff, you know, and, and really the reality is that stuff that he was saying, you know, 20 years ago about zone, you know, they call it zone two now, but is that, you know, HRV and aerobic capacity, VO2 max are, have one of the highest correlations to having, you know, you live basically about 10, 11% longer if you're in the highest VO2, like top 5% uh, VO2 max. And, you know, cardio has always been like, all right, am I doing conditioning to burn calories or am I, um, you know, doing conditioning for what, what's the purpose of it? But now it's really, no, it's like conditioning's for health and you should, yeah. you should do more lower intensity conditioning and less higher intensity conditioning. Um, because we've kind of hit this hit world where everything is classes that just crush you into the ground with cardio. And I think it is such an important, you know, kind of, you got to zoom out and go like, well, listen, what do I want? Are the things that I'm doing getting me where I want to, especially you know, in 10 years from now, great. Right now, I've, I, you know, my ego loves it that I'm deadlifting 600, but 10 years from now, I'm going to wish that I like backed off just a bit and did a little bit more mobility, a little bit more cardio training. And now I can do all the shit I wanted to do, you know, even better. So I think that's an important question. Um, yeah. Yeah. The idea of how strong is strong enough was something that's, it's a constant slide that even exists. I think it's a question in the book that I wrote as well. The how strong is strong enough and things like your goals, your training age, all that other stuff we talked about already, uh, they play into it big time. What is the point of going for a double body weight squat as a strength standard or a triple body weight deadlift if you learned that that standard was created by somebody who was like 160 pounds or something like that? How much more attainable is it for somebody like that versus somebody who's six foot eight and weighs 300, you know? You really think that a person 68300 is going to deadlift 900 just like in just from a little bit of training? Like no way, right? So just the the relative strength, the absolute strength versus relative strength, that kind of discussion plays in huge, you know, a person who is much more athletically inclined versus somebody who's not 
it doesn't mean anything when it comes to their measures of fitness, right? And so that's sort of the angle that I like to look at things from. Like there's so many different factors that are, again, at play uh, when it comes to deciding what, 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 what direction to go when it comes to training for fitness, training for strength, training for well-being and health. How much strength do you already have? How much more does somebody really need? Is it really only the big barbell movements that are a true expression of strength? I can take somebody who's doing a 550 deadlift and put them in a Chinese plank and they just fall like a bunch of cards, right? And that's a body weight exercise. Mm -hmm. So that is just to say that like there's so many different versions of expressing strength and these conveniently uh, loaded bars with a perfect grip and very balanced weights on either side and all that stuff, you know, is second that the second that you make the handle thicker, all of a sudden people's strength goes to the pits. So it's just funny that we've made these expectations of ourselves or these goals for ourselves. And then when you translate that to the real world, I mean, possessing strength is an important thing. But when are you going to have handles on some kind of thing that you've got to lift? The most, the most, the funniest thing is the, the most, the most uh, real world application for most people ever in life when it comes to utilizing the strength that you train for. Let's be honest. If you're not an athlete, an everyday person's most direct application is going to come from helping somebody move furniture. That's the truth. <laughs> Of too many other scenarios. I can't think of too many other scenarios where somebody really has to use their 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 strength and their size, whatever it is that they've built, and all that work in the gym. If they're not like a construction worker or something like that, it's usually when somebody asks them to help them move, right? Moving heavy objects that are household, and so none of that comes with a nice handle or an easy, non cumbersome way to hold on to this thing. You know, it involves more muscular endurance than it does strength half the time because you're not just picking it up and putting it back down you got to walk with this stuff you got to carry it for two minutes three minutes straight you got to do all kinds of turning and twisting and put it on one shoulder and all that stuff so doesn't mean our training shouldn't involve those primal movement patterns but like what other training can we possibly do to really make us ready for things in life that are real you know and uh that's that's where the question really comes to uh, how are we shifting our, our goals? How are we shifting our, our training so we can have longevity as a real part of the pie? Man, such a great point. I actually think that in, into the, something that you mentioned now, I think should really be kind of plastered into the pl practical programming stuff. You know, when you go like, hey, are you doing stuff with KBs and, and sandbags and thinking about this stuff about who your client is and like, yeah, look, let's make sure we have all the, the movement patterns that we need to have in there but don't take this other stuff out because that's not how life is. I neither is sport, yeah. to be honest with you, right? Like, that's awesome, man. Like, I would, okay, there's, I love it. You're, you're saying so much great stuff, but I want to make sure I, I touch on um, things that I wanted to ask. There. So from the coaching standpoint, and think about back then and now, right? So what helped you get more clients, right? And, and the thing is, has it even changed? M meaning like, well, the things that you did before to get you busy versus the things that, that are happening, you know, now because you are writing, uh, because you're a professor, did it change anything? Uh, and kind of like the main things that you would recommend for coaches to build their client, like their book of business. When I was uh, starting out, so this is going to 2007. Um, that was my first year in the industry as a trainer and uh, working for that commercial gym. And one thing that I could definitely be known for is 
getting on the gym floor and and working the floor basically um and i know it's something that a lot of people don't want to hear that because you know it might be nerve-wracking or they might not be that great at it and whatnot but it makes you more comfortable in the climate first and foremost if you take yourself out of your shell i'm not somebody who's really about going and talking to random people too often that's for sure but uh when the scenario called for it and you know we see somebody on the floor you might want to help them with technique. You might want, like, sometimes I just walk up to them and say, so when do I get to train you? Simple as that, you know? And it's a ridiculous tactic, but it actually didn't do too bad. Just, it worked for what my personality was, what the energy was, and so on. And so it just, it worked out. Now, uh, other times it would be correcting somebody's form or giving them a free session or something along those lines. Don't be afraid to do some work for free if it means it can turn into a 10-year or 20-year lifetime client down the road. Like, that's fantastic. Maybe they won't sign up the same day, but they sign up later on. And it's all because of the time that you put into it. And it's all because of the fact that you didn't push the envelope with being salesy about it. Right. So anyway, all that to say that the one thing that I would do a lot of when I was much, much younger was work the gym floor and uh, talk to members, um, build rapport in that way and make it clear that I was be I was willing to offer up my time to help somebody. Um, and it's up to them what they want to do with that afterwards. So that was what I did before. Um, I'm definitely in a different situation now in the sense of, well, I don't work for any one gym or anything like that. So I'm not stopping any members or anything like that. And I don't really, like, I don't have to advertise all that much just because of the fact that most of my advertisement is coming from the writing work that I do. And there's a lot of it that's circulating, right? And so I get, you know, the the emails that are coming in from people who do want to work with me. If they happen to be in my city, then they'll do it in person. Usually it's, uh, well, not usually, but a lot of the cases are online client uh, questions and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I can't say that I'm some kind of a marketing genius or some kind of a master when it comes to here's my sales tactics. I don't really have that anymore. And it's from, it's it's a good problem to have because of just the fact that I've been able to put myself out there by way of what's been published about me and so on. Um, having said that, um, contacts and and word of mouth referral is still, as far as in-person uh, training goes, it's still the number one referral source. It's the first, it's the, it's the number one way that, um, you know, a lot of clients have referred their friends, family members, and so on. And I also stay busy in that regard too, in, in that way as well. And so that's really been helpful keeping that rapport, making sure that you're doing your job the correct way um, and showing up, being there, being on point, that's going to impress a client. Every every trainer's client is going to think that their trainer is the best trainer that they've got. You know, that's just how it goes. You know, it's a very, very communication-based, personal-based industry. And um, it's so much hinging on relationships that if you can really, really master, you know, wearing the right kind of hat with the right kind of person, and it doesn't mean being a uh, an imposter version of yourself. It just means being some version of you that is still real and still holds true to you, but also aligns with that client so that they can really get the best out of their performance, get the best out of their interactions with you and so on. You know, it's going to go a really long way. And it'll probably lead to, okay, you know what? My friend wants to train with you. My colleague wants to train with you and so on. And they're going to spread the word about how great their experience is with you. And they're going to get results and so on and so forth. And it's just it's just a great situation. Word of mouth is still, um, as far as in person goes, that's the, that's the main that's the main winner for me. Man, that that's what I was leading to, because I mean, we, we didn't talk about you saying this, but foundationally, this is what it always comes back to, and I, I actually think it's 
uh, because of social media. And look, I love social media, but because of it, the focus so, so many times escapes to like, if I can be known here, if my following grows, it's going to help my in-person. But what you're talking about is 10 times, 20 times more, not, not only productive, but more effective. And I think too many people are going away from that. And actually people need to triple down on that. Like, you know, if uh, I always say, if the internet collapses tomorrow because of some crazy shit happening, right? Like, would your business not only survive, but would it thrive? And if yeah. you're doing the things that you're talking about and that I believe are the most important, it will maybe even more so because then people would have to talk more. But I, I read somewhere it was like 93% of all the uh, referrals are still offline word of mouth. Talk to people, 93%. Yeah. And funny story too, is that when uh, my friend Craig Valentine, like many years ago was like, Hey, do you know a great trainer in Toronto? I'm like, sure do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like straight up, you know, and, yeah. and we were, we were, I think we were either texting or on the phone and I, it wasn't even like, ah, let me, I was like, hold up. I think Lee's in Toronto. I was like, I think Lee's in Toronto, you know, and, and connected you guys. But th literally that was it. Cause I knew that you're really good at what you do. Like I knew you're a good dude, like ready communication. I was like, boom just like that right now, which definitely helps more, you know, uh, I would say the, the writing part of it. And so I wanted to, to do a couple of things. I wanted to connect those two, the communication and writing, but I, I did want to, one, how did you start writing and some tips on uh, not only the power of it. I, I think, I think writing is really important because it's one of the four skills that I think that will forever, ever, you know, uh, money-making skills, practical skills that, I don't give a shit what happens with technology. If you're a great writer, you can write better texts to, you know, try to get a girl. <laughs> you can write better copy. You can write better content. You can write, everything improves. Um, and so, and people are just like, oh, you know, writing doesn't matter as much anymore because of video, because of this. It's like bullshit. I think it's as powerful as ever. Um, but how did you get into it? And what are maybe some things for somebody starting off that's like, hey, I do want to get into publication. Um, what what would you recommend? Um, I got into writing. Um, let me think. The first experience that I ever had with like reading stuff and training content and so on was when uh, the fitness manager at the gym that I worked at uh, for the first place that I worked at, uh, he was asking me like, you know, like, why do you do these weird, not great exercises that don't get clients great results? Because I wasn't good. And then he was like, um, you know, ch check out these, these websites and they're probably going to help you out in terms of learning some stuff. And so... One of them was DeFranco's training, which I thought was really good. Oh, yeah. Um, then I, the second one was uh, bodybuilding.com. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And then the third one was tnation.com, right? And so- the Golden uh, era back then too. When I when I went to tnation, like I, I liked every every single one of the sites. But when I went to tnation, I was like, man, this just seems like, it's just different, man. This is uh, all these different writers. They're, they're so good. They seem like they're these unreachable figures that I just, I want to be like them. I want to do this. And so I read, applied brought it to the gym, read, applied, brought it to the gym. I kept doing that. And after a while, I got better at training. And on top of that, I started noticing some trainers on staff who were copying some of the stuff that I was doing, right? Probably wondering where I got it from. And so I was like, okay, this is like, this is really good. So anyway, long story short, after like a year plus of reading T Nation stuff all the time, especially, and practicing it and copying it and so on, I said, you know, I want to be like one of these guys, you know? And so I, I reached out and reached out and reached out and I contacted Nate Green, who was the editor at that time. Oh, that's so crazy. <laughs> <And> Nate, <laughs> There's Nate one of my close Green, friends, yeah. 
I, I thought Nate Green was like the coolest dude ever because of the fact that he was like the youngest guy on their staff by a long shot too. And so I was like, man, we have something in common. I'm like 22, 23, and he's got to be like 25 or six. Like, this is amazing. Like, let me try to align with him and see what he thinks about my ideas and so on. Anyway, long story short, he replied to me. And then, you know, after a million and one pitches, he finally took one and it turned into a small column and a part of a article series called Mythbusters. And so that was my first little break into T Nation. And I said to myself, listen, I'm not the type of guy who wants to just be a one one hit wonder type of thing. I want to keep on doing this. And so I tried to get it. I made a goal of trying to be in there once every month. And then I got in there once every month after a while in terms of frequency. And the rest is kind of history. I've written a bunch for them and a bunch of other places too, of course. So that's that's what uh, it really uh, that's what it really sort of started out as. And now to answer the second part of the question, which was any advice for young writers, I would say, um, number one, stick with what you know, because that's going to go the furthest as far as, you know, the sincerity, the knowledge that you have to expand to express on it as well. Um, I'm, I'm pulling from mistakes that I've made in the past. I'm thinking about all these things while I say this stuff, you know, sticking with what you know and staying in your lane is going to be paramount for you. Um, you know, you might not, but you might not be as funny as you think you are in your writing. So you don't have to go over the top of humor all the time. Uh, just keep it sincere and honest and it's going to be pretty good too. Um, and yeah, if you, if you can do those two things first and foremost, then there's going to be an audience for you and it's going to grow just based on that sincerity and them knowing what they're going to expect when they read your content. Um, you know, if you're a bodybuilder and you're talking all about Olympic lifting all the time, there's going to be so many holes people can poke in that stuff first and foremost, and it's probably not going to be too in depth either. Right. But if you're a bodybuilder and you've been bodybuilding and you talk about bodybuilding, people are either going to be like, eh, I don't want to learn about bodybuilding, or there's going to be a contingent of people who say, man, this is great. Bodybuilding from a top expert in bodybuilding. Let me at this, you know? And so I think that that's going to be the best way. Like, uh, I've got to say that as a six foot four guy, the last like seven or so years talking about, you know, taller lifters and leverages and all that sort of stuff that hindrances me in the work, in the working out uh, space and so on. Like, I mean, the audience didn't start out that big, but then it grew and grew and grew and grew. And like, there's a lot more of traction that is uh, surrounding the subject of anthropometry and leverages. And it's not all I talk about, but now it comprises a whole lot of what I talk about. And that's very different than it was 10 years ago for me. So uh, it, it's in the same vein of just sticking with what you know, sticking with what's close to you and what you have the most experience with. It's going to go a long way. And uh, the sincerity and passion can't not show through. So um, that's uh, something that I like to apply my own self as well. Those, those are great points. And um, I think the two, I mean, just writing and, you know, a lot of times I, I remember I wanted to start getting into the same, you know, same as you. I, I still, I, this was so crazy right behind me you know, on this bookshelf. This is kind of like my, my podcast from bookshelf. I have like three folders that are as thick as can be. And they're all printed T-Nation articles that I would just start putting in folders that were like, oh, this one's really important. This one's good. And I mean, it's thousands and thousands of pages. And this from like 2005, right? So it's like from way back then, and I was like, oh, I want to write for, uh, you know, uh, T Nation. And I would start writing, but like not get accepted. And, and Nate was been a really good friend of mine for like a long time. Even when he was a T Nation, he was like, you got to, you know, you can't write about uh, training and back pain because we got McGill writing about that, right? Like if you're young in a, in a, but so I'd write articles, they wouldn't get published there, and I'd put them on my own blog, right? Or, yeah. And I'd keep do like I'd keep creating content. It would still get go out there, still write about 
you know, your philosophy, your beliefs, your insights. And I mean, now back then you didn't have Facebook or social or, you know, all this stuff, but you can put it in your email marketing, you can put it on your blog, you can, but what you're doing is, is still I distilling your thoughts, helping you get better at writing. Uh, yeah. One of the things I did was I would copy and cause Nate was always a really excellent writer. So, you know, he helped me a lot, even uh, back then growing up and, and um, Adam Bornstein was another one. And, but what I would do is I would, copy their formats not what they were writing but i'm like oh he's doing subheadlines all right cool i'm gonna do subheadlines right uh, they're doing this i'm gonna do that oh they put a quote so i would basically copy the format but then just put all of my own thoughts and and mirror it and it helped me get way better way faster because i was like these guys are writing really well and have way more experience so let me do some of the things that they're doing um and from there you know i would actually get asked hey would you write an article here would you write an article there and you know, crazy that like for a while, I mean, I've been writing a ton these last years, but a lot of the publications that I was like, I wish I could get on there, like, you know, from T Nation to Must Unfitness, like they asked me to write stuff, which is, which is cool. And now I got the bug back again. But I think that the, the key is that like, I wrote hundreds of blog posts back then. And it was like two years before anybody ever asked me to, you know, write for their site. It, but what, what those hundreds of blog posts did, it made me a better writer and it made me distill my thoughts way more clearly because writing makes like you have to do that or it just is a clusterfuck, right? So <laughs> you don't want it to be like that. And it made me better yeah. at articulating stuff to clients because you, you have to write for the reader. So yeah, um, yeah definitely that. Now, that leading to, because writing is communication and uh, I definitely want to finish uh on this note and your thoughts about this, because communication is so important when it comes to training people. What, you know, one, where do you feel that you got the, uh, the most knowledge, experience and improvement with communication? Now, obviously using it, but where, where, where were the kind of those, those points where you're like, man, I, I need to be better communicated with my clients. And then where did you go learn? Like, where did you pick up the most uh, valuable, I would say insights for that? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I think that the times when I think the times that my that the thinking about that was challenged the most came from when I had uh, some kind of an issue with a client, you know, and if you're in the industry for enough time, or you, you see enough clients, you're going to have more than a few clients who aren't happy with you, who, who, who disagree with something or who oh, yeah, for money back or whatever it is like, and so I've been in that situation, especially as a, a private trainer who was not working for a company uh, that happens. Right. And, um, you know, whenever you do have a clash with a client, that definitely makes it uh, makes me look back and say, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I do to make this 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 friction happen? Why is what did I how did I screw this up? And so um, that's uh, definitely sort of like the the thing that 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 was the inkling thing that sort of like made me question it. It's always been some kind of clash with clients most of the time. But um, as far as what kinds of things I would, I think that I would say that the, the main thing that I would do is I would look at the communication methods of people who weren't in my industry at all. Um, whether it was somebody who was a public figure who deals with a lot of debates and the debate topics and whatnot, how do they deal with that sort of thing? How do they resolve problems? How do they 
find common ground to resolve conflicts and so on. Those kinds of things. What kinds of things do they use even when there is no conflict to make their method of communication very clear? Why do I like them so much as far as that goes? Um, you know, even certain things that I read, because like, again, like talking about writing and all that stuff, if I was to read the things that I wrote 12, 13 years ago when I started compared to now, I'd be like, ugh, it's a bit of a cringe as far as like how I try to communicate this subject, you know, or, or like I wouldn't have said it this way now. But uh, like looking at the way that certain people write or certain things, certain subjects about certain um, uh, topics, these are things that I would um, definitely learn from, definitely see the method in communication, whether it was making things more succinct, whether it was saying more about a subject or deep diving into something that could cause friction and then explaining yourself more clearly, or maybe taking something that you use a sentence or paragraph to describe and whittling it down to one or two sentences so that it's more succinct. Um, do I use lengthy verbose messages in email form or do I say, you know what, let's talk in person about that. That's a huge, huge one. I have to say the idea of trying to get your thoughts out and not realizing what tone could come across in an email versus saying, you know what, let's get on the phone at the Great very, point. or let's get face to face and talk about this. A lot of times when people are really fired up and they're angry about something and it comes out in the email. And then you say, let's meet face to face. They show a different face. <laughs> and uh, it's it's sort of, I don't want to say it's me calling them out or, you know, like, okay, see how bad you are. Let's see you face to face. So you can say, <laughs> you know, it's not that it's that, but it kind of is at the same time. Because once somebody's faced with you, all of a sudden it can really, really dissolve a major tense tone. And um, that's what I like to do very often. Um, so as far as uh, communication, especially when it comes in the name of conflict or, or being able to get your thoughts across in a certain way with a certain manner, I really, really encourage face-to-face. -face. And uh, it's probably one of the reasons why I prefer doing things like teaching and all that sort of thing and doing talks. People ask about virtual, do you want to join this virtual conference? I kind of want to do it face-to-face, -face, man. I'd rather be there in person. So why don't we do it next year instead? You know, and... Um, Things like that are are um, very important to me, and they've become a lot more important to me than than they used to be. So um, I, I really value that face to face or that uh, in person contact much more than the written word or a video or anything like that can can ever uh, do. Man, I'm with you. I think I've I've kind of realized that you know even and I do a lot of online things as far as business goes as well, but. I mean, I'm a brick and mortar person because of community, because of people, because of face to face. And I, I think it's part of the issue, you know, uh, today is that less and less people resolve things face to face. And so it's so much easier to misunderstand tone, body language and everything else through a text, through social media, through, you know, written word um, that there's a misunderstanding and narrative in somebody's head that they create and kind of keep going down on. And, you know, now all of a sudden you got this thing that escalated that honestly, if you just met face to face, wouldn't, I think nine out of 10 times wouldn't escalate. You know what I mean? yep. Yep. So I, that's a, that's a really, really good point. I think they like, Hey, anytime you're pissed off at somebody meet with them. And uh, yep. I think you'll be way better off. Uh, the last thing is do I, I, I could talk to you for hours, man. Like that's, we definitely have a lot of things in common um, and geek out on this stuff. But I, I really want to know that where you at right now, just something, you know, if it's a thing or two, that you're learning and then is exciting you. That's kind of, you've kind of dove into and, you know, you're like, man, like I want to, I want to learn more about this and I'm fired up about it. Uh, is there something that pops up right now for you? 
Um, the first thing that comes to mind right away is uh, more on the psychology and mindset side of things, more so than anything that's really physical. Um, whether you want to call that stuff like meditation, but just like being able to really zone in on a certain like, you know, thoughts and how that can affect your entire body. So, um, you know, I won't even get into the fine details about it, but we're talking about things that, you know, you might be dealing with <clears throat> different issues that you might be dealing with in terms of like your body, your mind, your head, like just all kinds of stuff. And um, being able to focus in on stuff like your breathing and realize how powerful breathing is for your entire nervous system and what it can do. Um, you know, I've recently learned that the vagus nerve is extremely, extremely uh, impactful on things that involve your head, things that involve even like your heart, your lungs, that touches so much stuff. And so it's very much influenced by things like your breathing and the methods of the way in which you're breathing, how deeply you're breathing, how calmly, all that sort of stuff. And so I'm like very, very short into it so far. But um, that recent exposure I've gotten to that kind of information has been helpful to know first and foremost. And it's been something I've been trying to work on too. Am I breathing through my chest? Am I breathing through my diaphragm? How am I really, really taking in the oxygen? And how is that affecting the way that I'm feeling? When I get this head pressure and I'm feeling headachey or I'm feeling like I can't tie my shoe without feeling my head's going to explode, why is that happening? What's going on? You know, is it something that's musculoskeletal or is it something that's a little bit more like, you know, visceral? Is it my, is it my breathing? Is it my nerves? Is it my neurology? So anyway, all that to say that, um, you know, that sort of side of things, the, the, the mindset, breathing, meditation, being able to focus, you know, to de-stress and take stress out of the picture and tactics you can use to do that, that's very interesting to me as of right now. Oh, I'm always on the same page with that. I mean, it's not, I think that the coolest part that happened for me uh, in, in training, you know, the, I think the first six, seven years was just like X's and O's, program design, just geeking out on that shit, you know? And then it was like, all right, I got to dial in on nutrition. And then I started doing nutrition. And then it was a personal life experience that got me into uh I would say mindset, like I got divorced. I was doing stupid shit. Well, I've, been, I've done stupid shit in my life numerous times when I was young, but then even later, and I had to like kind of raise my hand and say, Hey, I need help. Like, why do people do the things that they do? Uh, you know, they're dumb, you know? And I went into, I mean, I got therapy and then I started diving into the psychology and neurology, like, you know, and that, I think that made me a way better coach than any of the X's and O's. And I love the X's and O's stuff, but it's like, that was the whole next level behavior change patterns that we have the subconscious mind and again that taps also into like breathing and you know doing Wim Hof stuff and I've done you know I've done three days with the Shia monks on meditation I mean I kind of dove into all that stuff and learned so much because you start realizing that there's so many facets of the puzzle piece and if we understand this better we can help our clients better yep. you know because it might be their stress is always through the roof well, yeah. sure, we can manage training. That's one part of it. But how? what if we can improve their sleep and help with nutrition and give them strategies and a toolbox to calm down more often, become aware of things that are, you know, in their environment that are not helping them, but are derailing them. Like, yeah. and I think that's just a lifelong journey as a coach. And, you know, and I feel as excited as ever to learn now than I did before, you know? Uh, and yeah. feel, that's why you go down that rabbit hole and you go like, I don't know shit. All right, I gotta keep, I gotta keep learning, right? Um, yeah. so I'm glad that you shared that, that, that everybody sees that man, like you're, you know, you've been in this game for a long time and you're also always like learning and looking to improve. And, you know, that, that's, that's always inspirational to hear from people that have been in the game for it, man. 
Yeah, you know, you're training for it's a, it's a life kind of industry in the sense that like the things that you learn often are things that you've had challenges with or you've dealt with yourself. For example, like talking about people and rehabbing from injuries and so on. The amount that I can help somebody now compared to pre-2017 with that knee injury stuff, like it's a huge difference now. And like when you have that firsthand in, uh, insight to it, it might not have been a situation you wanted to go through, but you can treat anything that happens to your body as a way that you can translate that into a learning experience for clients, just based on the type of industry that we happen to be in. And it's a great opportunity in a way. So even with the stuff that I was detailing just now with the, with the head and all this, all that stuff, like I'm looking at it as, well, look, now I'm going to learn more about nerves. I'm going to learn more about breathing. I'm going to learn more about this. And I know there's going to be clients that can benefit from this too. You know, the amount of people who have contacted me since 2017, or I guess 2018 when I publicized it, about, hey, I ruptured my patellar tendon. Do you know what the rehab process is like? Hey, I had this injury, same as you, or I have other knee stuff or whatnot. Come out of the woodwork. I can't even believe that that injury is so prevalent, as prevalent as it is. I've had clients who've reached out to me and seen me in person saying, listen, I'm one year post-operation on the same injury to one of my legs. Can we work together? So I work with them. I see how they're doing. I can tell them very specific things about what to expect what's going on, what they're doing wrong, and so on, because I literally lived this. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's sort of like a, a bittersweet side of things because you can make lemonade out of the, the, the worst experiences that you might have in yep. whether it's life psychology, whether it's uh, physical stuff or whatnot. And uh, you can turn that into being able to really, really help a lot of people who are dealing with the same thing. Superpower. I always say, man, like that your struggles are, are kind of like these steps that you can build on. Um, if, if, if you frame it that way and understand that, right? Like you actually are now have more experience, more wisdom, and now you can use it to help others. Um, dude, I, I love it, man. This was absolute fire. Uh, I want to make sure for anybody that does, I mean, I feel like you got to know Lee, but if, but if not, like, where can people find, um, out about you? Like, where do you share the most information or reach out to you? I try to uh, I try to make things across as many platforms as possible. I try to make everything that I post that I get published on, for example, on the internet, available on my website. So my website's leeboyce.com. Uh, that has an archive of thousands, like a whole bunch of stuff. So all my published articles, I write blog articles on that website as well. Uh, so every couple of months, I'll put something out that has to do with more of my thoughts on social cultural aspects of fitness as a whole. So uh, that's uh, that's going on strong. I do online coaching there as well and all that. Um, but then on uh, my social, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I got Coach Lee Boyce and uh, no imposter sites, just Coach Lee Boyce, <laughs> spelled as my name. Uh, that is uh, where I will post a lot of stuff. I'm most commonly on Instagram these days as far as sharing content on the daily. So uh, that's where you want to find me on that. And, uh, you know, Twitter and uh, Facebook, I still have stuff going on, on there as well. So you can find my articles published on there as well or, or shared on there as well. And any other content that I like to put out. Uh, some of it is the same as the other platforms as far as uh, I might share something on Instagram as Twitter, as Facebook, but sometimes it's some unique stuff as well. So it's good to follow me on all three. I love it, man. I, I definitely want to put it this way. We're still kind of figuring out the summit situation, have you down for that. But like even I, honestly, I'd love to have you down for an in staff for the team and shoot a whole bunch of YouTube stuff, uh, which yeah. I, I go pretty hard on these days as well. Um, so much knowledge. Hey, also by the time this drops, it will be close to it. Uh, can, can you, can they pre-order the book yet? Yeah, it's actually out for pre-order. I'm glad you asked. Uh, that's, uh, on oh. 
on right now. I believe I saw the link just this week. Uh, so on Amazon, uh, I just typed my name and lifting and leverages and stuff like that. The, the book is called um, Strength Training for All Body Types, The Science of Lifting and Levers. That's what it's called. And uh, it's by Human Kinetics. So it should be very, very easily uh, findable on uh, Amazon. And uh, it's also on Barnes & Noble's website. It's on a few other websites as well. So you will be able to find it on the internet for sure. Uh, but obviously, most commonly, Amazon. And uh, it's out for pre-order. The official release date of the book is December 1st. So it's going to be out uh, in just a few short weeks otherwise. But uh, you can pre-order it, and then it's going to come to you shortly anyway. Awesome. Yeah, this is this is going to be punching out next week. So we'll put the uh, link in the show notes for the book. I'll obviously also uh, share it on social. And then all, I'm going to probably buy a whole uh, bunch for my team right now pre-order. So <laughs> bada boom, bada bing. Hey, Lee, shout out, so shout out to Melody Schoenfeld, by the way, my co-author, because uh, she is a, she's a machine and she's a research machine as well when it comes to all that stuff. Couldn't have done that without her. So I'm really glad to have uh, worked on that project with her. It was, uh, it was a really, really good run. About two years in the making, so it was great. Yeah, I feel you on that. And that's all. I've I've heard that before that she is a research machine, um, which is dope. So shout out to Melanie as well. Lee, thank you so much, bro. This was phenomenal. Um, definitely gonna do this again because I feel like I, as we've been talking, I'm like, oh, we could have dove down a couple different rabbit holes and spent the whole podcast on that. But yeah, thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you, and I uh, look forward to seeing you. Nice man, appreciate that too, and I'm uh, looking forward to the next time. Yes, sir. About to turn it on.